From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. All right, so let's just kind of um, spend a moment uh, talking about where we are in Genesis. We are um, nearing the end. Uh, This is the death of Jacob. Jacob has just died. And now Joseph is... um, has promised his father that he would take uh, his remains back to uh, where Abraham and Isaac are buried. And so um, uh, this is a promise he made to his dad, and so he's going to do that. And uh, so he's asked Pharaoh's permission to do that. Pharaoh not only gave him permission, but gave him all the resources. And uh, a lot of the officials who like uh, Joseph have decided to accompany him on this journey. Now, this journey that they're going on, now, that is a, that's a good question. Like, how far is this journey that they're going on? Well, let's, let's figure this out. Um, I have here where this cave is, uh, where this, this location is. Um, if you look here, this is Google Maps. Um, this is um, where, where uh, Joseph is buried. And uh, if, if you, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but if you take the little guy and you move it, you can actually move it over little things like this and you can get pictures. So this is inside the, the building or the structure where Joseph is buried um, today. This is what it looks like today. And you can see very, uh, very old structure with gates and, uh, and stuff like that. It's just uh, gated windows. Um, so this is where he's buried. And I'm just going to measure the distance from there all the way out to, so there's the Dead Sea, so it's near Jerusalem, right? There's Gaza, Gaza Strip, Israel. And we're going to, as the crow flies, so we're going to the south of the, Geshem was about right in here. Um, click there. Uh, it's only 231 miles. Uh and so when I say only 231 miles, that's still, a, that's still a huge distance. There's no question about that. Look at that. That's as the crow flies. So um, we're probably talking about uh, maybe 300 miles, 400 miles. So that would be, if you did 20 miles a day, that would be 20 days to get there. Um, so that is a, that is a fair distance. Um, we're going to go back here and zoom in on this. All right. So, um, so that's where, that's where he's going and uh, he's in Egypt and he's going to go to the land. Of course, it didn't look like this back then. It was, <laughs> it was all barren land. It was the cave that uh, Abraham Isaac purchased to, uh, to bury. All right. So let's, uh, let's just go into Genesis. Uh, and we left off at, at verse nine in, in chapter 50. So we're going to, we're going to go to verse 10. Uh, when they reached the flat, the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, so the Jordan River, right, is Jordan River is deep and wide. Um, where are we? Yeah, the Dead Sea. So here's the Jordan River. It comes out of the Dead Sea. So here's the Jordan. Um, I'm going to lose my place. Yeah, the Jordan River. Uh, Jordan River. Uh, so we'll go back, 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 back. All right. When they reached the threshing floor of Atad near the Jordan, they lamented loudly and bitterly. And there Joseph observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. 
and it's also quite possible that he uh, he was tired from the journey and needed a little bit of rest before he buried his father. But you know, minor details. Um, uh, so he observed a seven-day period of mourning for his father. When the Canaanites who lived there saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said the Egyptians are holding a solemn ceremony of mourning. And that is why the place near the Jordan is called Abel Mizraim, which is the place of mourning. So Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. You all remember that story. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. So basically, it's a let's say it's a 300 or 400 mile journey from uh, Egypt to, uh, to where this cave is. Um, where he purchased this burial place from Ephron the Hittite, uh, the, the, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre. And uh, it's kind of interesting just to see how this all, you know, we remember back in what was in Genesis 35 or something where they, where they purchased this cave. And now, they're, now the whole family is going to be buried in this cave. And this cave, this place still, according to you know, the internet, this, this place still exists, uh, where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are all buried. It's in the, the cave is called the cave of the patriarchs. Um, and actually there's a, there's a website on it. It's called the cave of the patriarchs. If you go to Wikipedia, it's called the cave of the patriarchs or tomb of the patriarchs known to the Jews as the cave of Machpelah. Uh, and here's a picture of the, from the Southern view, the cave of the double tombs or the cave of the double caves and to Muslims as the sanctuary of Abraham. And you're like, why would the Muslims care? Well, because Muslims follow Abraham also. Um, they don't follow Isaac. They follow his brother. Um, so uh, is, uh, Abra, uh, is a series of caves located in the heart of the old city of Hebron in the southern West Bank, according to the Abrahamic religions. The cave and the adjoining field were purchased by Abraham as a burial plot. Over the cave stands a large rectangular enclosure dating from the Herodian era. So that's about the time of Jesus. Byzantine Christians took it over and built a basilica, which after the Muslim conquest was converted into an Ibrahimi mosque. Then crusaders took over the site in the 12th century, but it was taken back by Saladin in 1188 and reconverted into a mosque. Israel took control of the site in 1967 after they won the, what, the, that war the 1967 war, dividing the uh, structure into the synagogue and the mosque. In 1994, the Hebron massacre occurred in which a Jewish settler killed 29 Muslims praying in the mosque. The Arabic name of the complex reflects the prominence given to Abraham and Islam. Outside biblical and Quranic sources, there are a number of legends and traditions associated with the cave. The site is considered by Jews to be the second holiest place in the world after the Temple Mount, uh, which is where the temple is. So, and then there's more history here. Um, but there you go, the Cave of the Patriarchs. There's a picture of it. Let's see if I can get a better, better view of it. Um, there's the Cave of the Patriarchs. Uh, would be kind of fun to see that at some point, wouldn't it? I, I don't know if it's a safe time to go to, to uh, or not, to go to uh, Israel. But it's a, it's a, you look at that structure, I mean, it's beautiful. And it was built, 
in the Herodian era. So I mean, that's a that's a pretty old that's a pretty old cave. Um, amazing is still standing. Uh, just absolutely amazing. So um, I uh, I I, I um, yeah, they carried him to the land. They buried him in the cave. Uh, this is the cave that is owned by him because Abraham purchased it. So um, I think when he goes there, this hasn't been too long since Abraham died. Um, and uh, maybe, what, 50 years max or something like that <clears throat> when, when, they, when they purchased this cave. So the people that live around this cave would have remembered uh, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and um, they would have... Uh, remember that this cave exists and who owns it, and so they would have no problem putting putting Jacob in this in this cave uh, next to his father and his grandfather. Um, pretty cool um, to be able to be buried in a cave like that. And I mentioned this the other day that um, there are some places that have family crypts and uh, and they bury the family members in the crypt, uh, and then every and particularly where it's hot, and then as soon as another family dies family member dies, they open up the crypt and they keep doing that. I think that's kind of a cool thing. I think uh, church church uh, burial yards are really kind of a great thing. Uh, I have no problem with cremation or or mausoleums or things like that. Um, I don't the, the one thing that uh, that a lot of religions do is that they'll put the body on a float and they'll bear and they'll burn it and they'll send it out to sea. Um, that's another way that a lot of people bury the dead. Um, that's very, very Eastern religion, Eastern tradition to be able to do that. Uh, and then uh, today it seems like people will, like one of the common things to do today is to have people cremated and then they take the cremains and they'll go and they'll sprinkle the cremains um, somewhere in a favorite place that that person uh, liked. And I think I've mentioned this before, but my wife, uh, has mentioned that she'd like to be cremated, uh, have be cremated and painted into a painting. So on the last day, she comes out of the painting. I, I think that's kind of interesting. <laughs> She's kind of strange that way. Hmm. All right. So, um, is there anything else to say about Jacob? Except that this is an end of an era. Jacob is the main character here. We have Joseph. We have Abraham. We have Isaac. But Jacob becomes Israel. He's, he's the one with the 12 sons. With, with Jacob comes this huge nation, nation of Israel that uh, was a very dominant force in that area for a long time. And they're, of course, still around the nation of Israel. They've had to, they were dispersed. They came back. They've never rebuilt the temple. Um, but, a, but a lot of these sites that are very holy to uh, Israel are still around. And if, you're, if you are the nation of Israel then the death place, the burial place of Israel, which is Jacob, is very important to you. So you can see how that's probably the second holiest site uh, in Israel and how it's gone back and forth. And uh, finally, Israel said, fine, we'll share it. So they're sharing it. All right. Um, but something happens. Jacob uh, is dead. And now the brothers are wondering, what's going to happen to us? Was Joseph nice to us just because his father was alive? Or is Joseph nice to us? Uh, or is, is Joseph going to turn on us? Well, let's just continue reading. This is verse 15. 
When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. <laughs> or laughed. I mean, is this really what Jacob had said? Or are they making it up just to try to, you know, get Joseph to change his mind? I have no idea. Uh, it seems all too convenient. You would have think that when Joseph came to see his father in his last days, that this is something the father would have said to him. Um, but they're just reinforcing it. Your father left these instructions. This is what you to say to Joseph. Don't kill them. <laughs> Be nice to them. Um, but when a message gets to Joseph, Joseph weeps, uh, which Joseph uh, tends to be a weeper. We've seen that before. Um, and what you weep for kind of you know, shows your character. Uh, verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, and this is key, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done and saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. So, um, yeah, I think uh, the, the thing that impresses me most about Joseph is just his, his maturity. He has a deep, strong, abiding connection with God. He has a deep, strong, abiding faith. Uh, he takes the punches of life, and he doesn't turn it around on other people. He just takes it, um, and he learns from it, and he moves forward with it. Uh, and because he has such a deep, abiding faith in God, he is able to do amazing things. Because you can spend all your energy being angry uh, and trying to figure out how to plot revenge and do all the, the, the eternal justices of the world to make sure that justice prevails, right? You can do that. Or you can just take the punches and say, you know, God, uh, I'll let you take care of this in the last day. Uh, I'll let you kind of use these events uh, as you will for your kingdom and the, and the growth of it. And then I'm just, I'm just going to continue to cling to you and move forward. I'm not looking in the past. I'm moving forward. And I, I, that really is what impresses me about Joseph because that's what he does. Um, and I, if you've ever, have you ever met people like this? Paul is like this, right? Paul's put into prison and instead of grousing and griping about the fact that he's in prison and he can't do the missionary work that he wants to do, he wants to plant more churches and do all that sort of thing. Paul just does the work of God wherever God's placed him. And um, God blesses them because of it. And there is not a place on this earth where you can't be the hands and feet of God. And if, if, if you are mature enough, if your faith is strong enough to where you recognize that the main reason why God has placed you on this earth is just simply to be his hands and his feet, to love the world around you, where is it that you can go? Where is it that you're going to go where you can't do that? I mean, if that's your mission statement, if the highest priority in your life is to love and serve God, 
Where is the place in this world you can't do? There isn't a place you can. You can be in prison. Uh, you can be in the hospital. You can be, uh, I mean, there's, there's no place where you can't do that. Romans 8, 38, right? There's neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor things past, present, or any other created thing can ever separate us from the love of God. Where, where can you go where, this, where you can't do the, the hands and the feet of God? Um, now, if that's not your primary mission, if your primary mission in life is to, um, I don't know, uh, make widgets, and that's your primary mission in life, and all of a sudden uh, widgets can't be made anymore because nobody wants a widget or the materials to purchase the widgets don't exist anymore, and we're in the middle of a coronavirus and all the factories that produce widgets are shut down, then you got a problem because now you can't do your primary mission in life. But if your primary mission in life is to love and serve God, um, yeah, all right, God, I see that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot. You can't, I can't love and serve you over here, so I'm going to love you and serve you over here. Um, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that. Just, just, you know, give me some guidance. Give, you know, know that I'm still loving you and serving you and, and that you still love me and that you still give me all the power of heaven in my fingertips, right? The Holy Spirit lives in my, in my body and in me. So yeah, let's move forward, God. Let's, let's do it. So in the middle of a coronavirus, yeah, God, I can't do it over here, but I can certainly do over here. So let's do it, Lord. And um, that's, uh, that's really, uh, that, is, that is where deep faith really comes from. And Joseph has it. Joseph, uh, you can tell. He, he, first he weeps. And when you weep over things that are joyous, that, that tells a lot about who you are. Uh, and when you weep because, uh, <clears throat> and when you have an attitude like Joseph, um, don't be afraid. Uh, what you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done and saving of many lives. Joseph has completely seen that what his brothers did was part of God's plan all along. He's not going to destroy them. He understands that. And um, uh, now it does bring up just one little thing, and that is um, what happens. So you could do, let's say you did that with a criminal, that uh, somebody stole something from you. Um, do, does that mean that you should just let them keep it? Does that mean that they shouldn't have um, a justice on this earth for something that they stole from you? I mean, should, that there's no consequences of that? This doesn't mean that at all. Uh, because we live in a world, right? We live in two kingdoms. We live in God's kingdom, but we also live in the earthly kingdom. In the earthly kingdom, there has to be law and order. You can't have chaos. There has to be rules. Uh, because we live in society, we have to learn how to live together. And we set up and establish these rules and so when somebody steals from you, there has to be a consequence for that. There has to be a punishment for that. And that's all kind of earthly kingdom stuff. That's okay to, to do. No problem with that whatsoever. The question is, what are you going to do in your heart? And how are you going to treat that? And, uh, uh, you know, how it, and, and actually does come sometimes create somewhat of a conflict because you do live in both kingdoms. You live in God's kingdom. You live in the earthly kingdom. Like, how much grace do I give to somebody? Um, if you were to go to the sentencing or whatever, how much grace do I show at that point? Um, and those are things that each person has to struggle with. There's no right or wrong on that. Um, but as for you personally, having the maturity to just see in God's economy, in God's kingdom, 
that nothing can ever separate you from his love uh, and you can always serve him no matter where you are, that's a pretty healthy way to be. And, and that's my prayer for all of you is that you, <laughs> it's actually my prayer for me, right? Because I struggle with this more than anybody. Um, that I would love to, I would love to be like Joseph, you know, later in my later years, just being able to love and serve God, no matter what the consequence, no matter what the circumstances are. That's really what I'd like to do. Um, so, uh, I think, I think we'll, uh, end it there. Um, uh, well, no, I think maybe we'll just keep going. There's only a few more verses. Uh, we'll go to verse four, uh, 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of the land to the land he promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. So Joseph uh, asks uh, his tribe, the Israelites, to swear an oath to say that he would be taken back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we find out later in Scripture that they actually do that when they have the exodus and come out of Egypt. Um, when God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt, they grab J uh, Joseph's bones and they take them with them. Uh, that was a promise they made. Promise made, promise kept. Um, and this then is the backstory. Um, this is how... Israel ends up in slavery in Egypt from the creation to the death of Joseph. This is, um, this sheds light onto what happens next. And what happens next after Genesis is the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, uh, we fast forward a number of years and now the pharaohs that were friendly to the Israelites are no longer friendly to the Israelites. Somehow the Israelites have become slaves to Egypt. And now the, on the back of, of the Is Israel slaves, they're building uh, great tombs and pyramids and all sorts of things. And uh, their life is atrocious. So to go from Joseph, who is the prime minister of Egypt, to being slaves in Egypt, the Bible is silent on that. It doesn't say, but we do know. Well, it does say in in. Uh, well, here I'll even show you in in the in Exodus, the very opening. Um, let's see. Uh, well, um, uh, yeah, yeah, it's. It's uh, not really in there. Um, so we're, it's not really discussed how in the world they went from prime minister and uh, elite of Pharaoh's court to slavery, but that's what they did. Um, so I guess uh, I guess we'll end it here. I, I'll pray about it over the weekend, see where we want to start on Monday, if we want to just wrap this up. But um, 
This truly is the backstory to the story of the Old Testament. And if you ask any Israelite, what is the story of the Old Testament? Genesis is interesting, but the fact that God rescued them out of slavery of Egypt, that is the central story of all of the Old Testament to all of the Israelites. And, um, and this, this story in Genesis, this account from the creation of the earth to, J to Joseph, really provides the backstory and the understanding and the depth and the breadth of the meaning of the fact of how they got into Egypt and why God had to rescue them. So um, I pray that it has been a blessing to you, and um, I'm so grateful that you've joined me. This is episode 90. There's 50 chapters. We did 90 episodes in Genesis. Just absolutely crazy. Um, so, all right. Um, thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we're going to close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for um, creating Joseph. Uh, that his example shows us how we can be so connected to you that even the worst things that can happen in life don't deter us from our faith in you and our and our knowing that you love us and your love for us. Uh, be with us over the weekend. Keep us safe. Um, bring us back again together uh, on Monday. In Jesus' name.